No one has ever said raising kids is easy. With an overwhelming amount of information about healthy diets, discipline strategies, and the need for more tummy time, it can be really hard to make sense of it all. Welcome to Tot Talk. I'm Mary, a pediatric occupational therapist. And I'm Allison, a pediatric physical therapist. Together, we created Tots on Target to join parents, teachers, and pediatric professionals into one community with the mission to empower each other with a greater understanding of how our children's brains and bodies develop, join us as we discuss the most relevant topics to help keep all our tots on target. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for our 15th episode. We are interviewing Brooke and Bridget of The Speech Sisters. They are an amazing sister duo, both speech-language pathologists, and they are joining us today to talk about Five things to not do to help get your child talking. Such an interesting topic. We're really excited for you to hear this and and delve right into it. You're going to really learn a lot. Um, also, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Write us a review or leave us a rating so that other parents and professionals can find us. And also head on over to totsontarget.com to join in on all the discussions going on over there about all different areas of child development. You can really ask any questions, give some advice yourself. Really great platform to be a part of. So anyway, let's get right down to it. We have Brooke and Bridget here. You're going to enjoy this conversation immensely. Hey, everyone. We are so excited to be chatting with Brooke and Bridget today from the Speech Sisters. Welcome, guys. Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. So we want our listeners just to learn a little bit more about you both. Can you just, you know, describe how you, I mean, I know you guys are sisters, obviously, but (laughs) why you decided to sort of come together and not only start your private practice, but then eventually begin your journey with Speech Sisters? Sure. Yeah. So we started our private practice almost 10 years ago here in Southern California. And we kind of started it because we both ended up living in the same place. We're both speech therapists and we thought, let's start something. And so we did and it, you know, moved slowly at first, but then took off. And after years of working with children, young children and parents, we just thought, you know what? We should educate. We should get this out there to more families. You know, what's a good way to do that? And, you know, social media. (laughs) Yeah. We specialized in our private practice, working with late talkers and um, kids who were language delayed um, in the pediatric population. And what we find and what our therapists find that work with us is that getting a parent involved is so critical in the treatment process. You're, you know, as the speech therapist, you're only going into these homes once, twice, maybe three times a week, but the parent is with the child all the time. So getting the parent involved in the treatment process, learning what some of the the tips and tricks are to help their child along the way just seemed to make therapy shorter in duration and just easier for everyone involved. It just was a you know, a more fluid process, more successful. Uh, Definitely. And I know, you know, being an occupational therapist and Allison's a physical therapist, we talk about that all the time. And that was one of the reasons why we decided to create our online community at totsontarget.com because we realized probably what you guys noticed as well, you know, two times a week of therapy, whether it be speech therapy, OTPT, is not as impactful as if 
you're right, the parent is involved and the, the skills and the techniques that you are teaching the parent, they're also carrying over into the everyday with that child. And you just see so much more progress when you have parents that are invested, not only invested, but are also carrying over, um, you know, the, the things that you are working on in therapy. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. And I think, you know, between the two of us, we have five children and all five of our kids were early talkers. And so many times we would hear, oh my gosh, your baby is talking. How did you do that? It's because you're a speech therapist. That's the only reason. And it, it was like, yes, we are speech therapists. And most likely that was, you know, a part of it. But we always knew how to talk with our child, communicate with our child with the intent of building their language skills. And going through it, we're like, you know, you don't have to be a speech therapist to do this. Parents, if they know those those tips and techniques, they're, you know, completely capable of doing this as well. Okay, so let's get into our discussion on something that you guys suggested we talk about today, which I think is extremely interesting. Five things to stop doing to get your child to start talking. Probably parents don't realize they're doing things to prevent their children from talking. Yes, exactly. I think these are the some of the things that, you know, we do as parents that, like you said, we just this is just how we are with our children, how we talk with our children and our babies and toddlers. And um, often we often we think these things help them. Right. Exactly. But they they don't always help. And sometimes they really deter children from you know, starting to talk, um, and they really can have the opposite effect. So we just like to get these points out there to parents because, um, these things are very common and, you know, it's nice for parents to know that this, I know there's a, there's a list of five things. So let us know what they are. We, and this is actually a free PDF that we have too. So any listeners interested in that can get that as well. Um, but the, the first point that we always say to parents is stop asking so many questions. So, you know, we always give this example of you're having a conversation with a friend and they're just firing questions away at you. It's not really a reciprocal back and forth enjoyable interaction. It's just kind of like, whoa, are you grilling me? <laughs> you know, and um, it, it just sort of, you know, it, it stops the interaction sometimes rather than get getting the interaction going. And we tend to do this with our toddlers. Toddlers don't love constantly being quizzed. And I think as parents, we get excited when our little ones start talking or knowing things. Um, And we often ask, you know, where's the ball? What does a duck say? Where's daddy? What's your name? How old are you? You know, and we just rapid fire these questions at them. And sometimes it's just a little too much. So we advise parents for every one question you ask your child, try to then follow up with about three related comments. So you may say, or you could make three comments and then ask a question. So you may say, I see, oh, I see an animal right there. He's going in the water. He's yellow. What is that animal? You know, so you're building their language, building their language by making a comment, then you present a question or vice versa. How important is it also to give your child time to respond? Like I think even we're talking about, you know, in, you know, in therapy about motor planning and oral praxis, I'm sure, I mean, you know, this, this is your area better than mine, but if kids are just learning how to use their mouth muscles to Mm -hmm. make sounds, I almost feel like we need to learn how to pause and wait for their response because it's not going to be maybe as fast as obviously you and I would talk because we're adults. 
Yes, this is a huge point and it's actually in our toddler course called The Late Talker. This is one of our strategies. Um, it's our very first strategy we talk about. It's called wait. <laughs> it is so important. So that really is kind of the other piece of this. So, you know, yes, ask a question, give a comment or whatever it is, but then then wait and give your child a chance to process it and potentially say something back. Um, and as parents and as therapists, this is so hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, life is such a rush and we just, that wait component gets thrown out the window often just because of life and how it is. But if we take some time and just be cognizant about it when we can throughout the day, it can be so effective. Combination of those two things, the waiting and the, you know, minimizing the questions, it reduces that pressure for our little ones. And and that's what makes them want to start communicating. When that pressure is reduced, they're more motivated and more interested to want to interact and communicate with you. How important is it when you're choosing that question to ask them? Is it important to pick something that you know they know the answer to? I think, yeah, you could kind of look at it both ways. So um, if you're targeting, if your target is to kind of build new language and then, you know, then maybe the child doesn't know what you're asking about or doesn't know. So then you would really structure it more where you're telling them, this is a ball. The ball is blue. <gasps> I see this ball. Can you touch it? Where's the ball? You know, then you would, so you structure it a little differently. Yeah. And you can also like ask and answer. So you might say, <gasps> And then after you give that language, like Brooke just described, you can say, what is this? And you wait five, three, five, ten seconds at the most. And if they don't say it, you then will say, it's a ball and answer your own question. And eventually your child will be ready to answer it independently. Got it. That's, that's actually really helpful tip and just thinking about how to continue that conversation if they don't know the answer, if they don't know those words. Yes, exactly. And then our second thing to stop doing to get your toddler to start talking kind of goes nicely off of what we were just talking about um, with like putting the pressure on, putting too much pressure on. So we we tell parents to stop saying say. So say mama, say ball, say dada, say, you know, we do this all the time. And once our little ones start talking, we want to hear their sweet voices. And so, and some kids are really good at this and they become little parrots and they say everything that you want them to say. But for other children, this can really deter them from talking. It puts too much pressure on. And so there are ways to, you know, stop this and minimize this where you don't have to say, say all the time. And that is just to model the word. So you would just say, you know, if you're trying to get your baby to say mama, um, instead of saying, say mama, say mama, say mama, you know, you just want to model that word mama. And you might pat yourself on the chest so that they know mama, touch your face, have them touch your face. Um, yeah. Hold an object. You know, if you're, you know, trying to get them to say ball, you'll hold it and point at the object. Ball, ball. But you want to, you repeat that word about five times during an interaction and then you want to wait. Because when we do that, you're giving them an opportunity to then use that word without putting the pressure on them to say ball. <laughs> when you are building that language, will it take 
a few times or a few days even for that word to possibly sink in to be part of their vocabulary that they would use in a normal conversation or whatever toddler conversation sounds like? I mean, I think it varies. Like yeah. as a child is building language um, and not talking much, like they research shows and it's kind of all, a little bit all over the place that a child needs to hear a word hundreds of times before they will expressively or verbally use that word. But, you know, I find when kids get a little bit older, you know, I have a 21 month old. And if I say a silly word, like, um, I don't know, just thinking of something like I'm hungry, like, let's just say I use the word hungry, and she hasn't heard it, she'll go hungry, you know, and repeat after. So and she may not have heard that word hundreds of times. It's like, right. Now that she's talking, it's a little bit faster for one to repeat it. But it can still take time to actually understand what the word means and for her to use it appropriately. That's really what ends up taking more time because the child needs to hear that word in the right context multiple times over and over. Um, So yes, I mean, it's surely it's definitely a process. And as Bridget said, it's more of a process the younger the child is and moves faster as they get older. I I know your next tip is about not stealing communication opportunities from your child. And probably similar to your first tip, we don't always realize what what we're doing, but can you describe what a communication opportunity would look like for a toddler? Yeah, I think as, you know, parents, we tend to anticipate our, our child's every need because we're the mom or we're the dad and we know what they need in that moment. If they're sitting in their high chair and they're eating, they're going to want water. So we just anticipate that we know if they, if they need a diaper change or whatever it may be. And I think that we often just jump to it and we'll go get that item because we do know what they want. And then we kind of just give it to them without allowing them to communicate their need to us. So that's anticipating uh, or that is stealing the communication opportunity. So instead, you may go get the cup of water and like put it, let's say you have a an island in your kitchen and your child's sitting at the high chair at the table. You may like shake it and put it on the island so your child sees it. But then you want to give your child the opportunity to communicate that they want possession of that water at that moment. And communication, you know, it's not necessarily always going to be verbally saying water. If a child can't talk, that's not going to happen. But communication can be anything from pointing to grunting to maybe just making a sound or a gesture or a sign um, or, of course, saying the word. I've definitely seen also when I've worked in um, in sensory gyms with speech therapists, especially using a swing, they'll stop the swing mm-hmm. and wait for the child to say something like push or more or something yes. like that. Would that be included in that kind of communication yeah. opportunity? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There are opportunities all day long. I mean, for parents just in their everyday routines, it, the there's so many opportunities to build communication and, and have these language rich interactions, but we just go through our day to day and don't necessarily stop to really think about them. Um, and so, you know, it's important to kind of explain what are these communication opportunities and how can you give them to your child and kind of make them a part of your everyday routines. Yeah. And some of them, you know, can be a bit obvious, like giving water if they're, you know, having a meal or whatever that may be. But you can also do what we call sabotage the environment or manipulate the situation. And that would be going through a routine, but kind of like setting it up where your child is going to communicate that something is wrong or that they do need something. So you may give them the water cup and don't put water in it. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, or put them in the bath and don't turn the water on. And your child's like, well, wait a minute, what is going on? Like, why am I in the bath right now? And there's no water and they'll point or that communication is then started because they know something's wrong. So they're more motivated to communicate and tell you that something is off. Yeah. It's like a problem solving opportunity. Exactly. They're like using their brain and then matching that with the words or the hand motions to, yes. to follow exactly. through. Yeah, exactly. Tip four is something that is near and dear to my heart for other reasons, not necessarily the language piece, but tip four, you have stopped teaching academic language too soon. And obviously for other reasons, as an OT, um, we're always, you know, when it comes to things like writing, handwriting and things, we're always looking not to push academic skills before a child is developmentally ready. Um, But I'm wondering how you see that um, in terms of language. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, Every parent or so many parents in our private practice will say, well, my child's not really talking, but he can sing the ABCs or he's able to identify most of the letters in the alphabet and can count to 20. And it, and they are so proud of that. And it is something to be proud of because, you know, they are making leaps in certain ways, but we just really emphasize to parents the importance of functional language. So when your child is starting to talk and develop, they need to get their wants and needs met. And that's not going to happen by singing the ABCs or counting to 20, right? So your child is going to need to say more or help or up or down or open or hi. So these are really, you know, we just want to emphasize the importance of functional language before academic language, because that will come once they have this strong foundation of functional language. And um, I just think that there's really a push for learning letters and sounds and numbers and, and as there should be at the right point in time at the right stage of development. Um, and and parents don't often know this because it's not explained. So we like to tell parents this and, and, you know, explain this to them. Yeah. And we walk into homes many times and they'll be like, oh, I have these flashcards and watch my child can do all the flashcards. And like, that's another thing is it's not that flashcards are bad, but they're just so academic and they're not necessarily teaching a child functional language. Um, you know, if a child does we do have some kids who love flashcards and maybe they're seeing the a in apple and naming the apple but go get it in your house like go grab an apple and show them the object it just creates a better connection to the actual word and builds more meaning like you said if they're just looking at a flashcard they may say the word but that doesn't necessarily mean they know what that is they they see the symbol on the flashcard but maybe they can't you know, pinpoint to something in the environment of what that would look like. So that really makes a whole yeah. lot of sense. And we also talk, we've talked a lot in the past about like that multi-sensory learning experience. Like when kids experience something tangibly, they can put their hands on something, they can smell it, they can feel it. Yeah. They'll have a lot more of that ability to process what that means within the world rather than just looking at a blank flashcard. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So true. So true. How, in terms of the academic part, I know a lot of people buy, I bought this for myself, a baby's first words book. Is that something that you guys recommend in trying to teach new language? Or do you think that's more part of the conversation or that um, 
those experiences that we were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, we both have had those books for our kids and my kids love that book. I mean, I think that they're just the at first word book is just great. Um, just cause it shows so many different language concepts and, and objects and the kids love it. So there's no reason to use it. You just want to make sure that as you go through those day, your day with your child, you're talking and verbally bringing up those words and objects as you see them throughout the day. So, you know, there's one page in that book. I know that's a bunch of vehicles and that's great. And you may read that with your child, but when you're taking a walk later that day and you see a garbage truck or you see a airplane or helicopter fly overhead, take that opportunity to show your child, point to it and talk it out. And that's, you know, talking the talk piece, parallel and self-talk is, is a big portion in both of our online courses because yeah. it's just so important. And also in that way, what you just said is so true because they could also hear the rumble of the garbage truck and hear the propellers of a helicopter and realize a helicopter is above me and a garbage truck is really big next to me. So there's that yeah. experiential part of language right. that really makes a huge difference. And yeah. it's funny when I, um, so when my twins were babies and I bought one of those books, you know, I had a few books and I would try to like structure my day and I would take out a book and I'd actually try to like read the words to them. Like one of the, I don't know, like a simple book with like a story. Yeah. Why aren't they paying attention? <laughs> you know what? I'm somebody who like works with kids, but the speech element, and at that time I really didn't work with babies. And I was like, they're not really paking attention. I don't know why I'm reading to them. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then I like kind of realized like I need to step back from like reading the words and maybe like describing it or I don't know. Oh, it's a shape or it's a something and yeah. using more expression in my voice rather than just like reading the words because they were completely tuning me out and crawling away from me. Yes. We always say make the book come to life. When you are reading with your baby or toddler, I mean, we and we'd recommend not reading the words, kind of just talking through it. But early on, early on, but uh, but also making that book come to life. So exactly what you just said, like make the noises and, you know, do the hand gestures or whatever it is. And then yes, like read those books. And then when you see it out in real life, your child will start to make those connections and that builds their receptive language, their understanding of, you know, the world around them and all the objects in their, in their world. So yeah. And cool. as your child start sitting for a longer duration during book time, then you can start, you know, reading a little bit more and kind of moving up that hierarchy. So it will come in time. It's not forever. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I mean, I've definitely like read to my kids real books later on, but I just, I definitely remember the beginning. I was like, I think I'm doing something wrong here. <laughs> but, but it, you know, it makes sense. And like, and you know, that kind of brings us to the, your last point that I see here, which is stopping, stop expecting too much too soon. So if you could just expand upon what that means, I think that would also be really helpful to connect all these pieces. Absolutely. So we, we use this uh, little analogy of when you first met your spouse, um, that, you know, next day, did you expect that they were going to propose to you and ask you to marry them? Probably not. You know, it so. depends, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe you hoped it, but right. <laughs> it would be expecting too much too soon. And the same is true with our little ones as they are developing language, um, especially the expressive language piece, because 
that's, you know, the number of words that they're saying, their vocabulary, are they able to put words together? And it is a process. There's no child who's just going to wake up one day and start talking in sentences. It doesn't happen like that. You know, we do hear stories like, my third cousin said her best friend's son, you know, woke up and just started talking in sentences one day. Um, But it's just not reality. And it's a hierarchy that they need to go through. And it starts with, you know, as young as two to four months, the cooing and then into the babbling, into those first words and using gestures is so important. And then into, you know, combining words together and making sentences and moving into conversation. So it is a process. It takes time. And um, every child is different and develops at their own pace. And I think that is why, you know, we get a lot of questions from parents saying, well, how many words should my child say by blank? And they, you know, give a an age, 18 months or 24 months. And we kind of coined the term expected range for the number of words a child should say. And the reason we did this is because most doctors um, and language experts out there will talk about milestone. And that is really important for parents to know. And a milestone, you know, for 18 months, let's say, is 10 words. A milestone for 24 months is 50 words. But what parents don't know is that a milestone is indicating what approximately 90% of the population of that given age group is able to do at that age. So it means that most children at 18 months or the majority of children at 24 months are able to say, you know, 10 words or uh, 50 words at 24 months. Um, But what they don't understand is that a milestone is not necessarily an average. And an average is going to be higher than that milestone, indicating more or less what like 50% of that population can can have for the number of words. So at 18 months, the milestone may be 10 words, but the average is more like 50. So we have created a chart and it's on our Instagram. It's also one of our blogs. Um, It's how many words should my child say? And we call it the expected range. So for an 18 month old, the expected range is that your child should be anywhere between 10 to 50 words. For 24 months, the expected range is that your child should be anywhere between 50 and 300 words. And anywhere within there is within that accepted, uh, acceptable and expected range. Um, That's really a big range. It is a huge range. range. It's a huge range. And that's just because every child is so different and develops at their own pace. And, you know, there's just so many factors, whether a child's exposed to two languages. Um, Many times those children are a little bit later to to speak and use expressive language, but those children should always be meeting that milestone. So the milestone is a great marker, but we always, you know, try to encourage parents, like, don't just try to get to the milestone, like try to go above and beyond. And that's kind of why we created our courses is because, you know, we do feel like by implementing some of these tips and tricks into your daily routines, you can help your child kind of move further and deeper into that expected range and closer to that average. 
I want to ask you a follow-up question to something you said at the beginning of this specific topic, which is that it, it doesn't really happen overnight, right? Like you're, you have to expect that development. Um, when I always talk about my own kids because that's like my experience, right? Mm-hmm. When my twins were about 18 months, I remember, and, and they were preemie, so they were, you know, six weeks early. So that's that adjusted age. But I, I don't remember exactly how many words they were saying. I want to say it was like five, seven words. And my pediatrician really pushed me to get a speech eval. And I was like, I don't think I need one yet. And their receptive language was really good, but she really, really pushed for that eval. Um, we did get it. It, it turned into nothing, um, but okay. We checked it out. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but then actually in the next like month or two, their vocabulary really like splurged. They, yeah. It just kind of all came out because you could tell that up until then they really were taking it all in receptively. They really got it, which I think is the part that really comes first. They have to understand it yeah. before they can express it. Right. So yeah. is that normal to like that they're taking it all in but until they can get it back out again it just might take that moment of like explosion yes yes okay. yep very true and again you know some kids like similar to your story the the and you're right the receptive language is that foundation and that has to be there um in order for them to start expressing themselves so typically when they are you know understanding and you know maybe they're 18 months and they have seven words so they're just below that milestone you know so okay go get them looked at and but then all of a sudden three give them three months and they have 200 words you know or 50 words or whatever it is but so that's some cases and then other children it is just it's slower and they don't have that explosion and there's really no way to know or to predict um other than just you know every child is different and I, we've even seen twins who like you know one twin just has that crazy language explosion and the other twin sort of lags behind and eventually catches up but develops their expressive language in a different way um so it's really interesting and it really just is case by case and child by child and um depends on so many factors yeah okay. i think the one constant is that you know, and that's why we have this Instagram platform and everything is because no matter where your child may be, you can help them be the best that they can personally be at this time. Like you as the parent can do everything that you can um, to know that they're in the, the best place that they can be at that time, wherever that may be. Yeah. And that's right. just getting involved. And I think one one visual that we really like from our our courses is what we call the language ladder. And, you know, the ground, we have a picture and it has a ground and the ground is labeled receptive language. And then there's this ladder coming up and we call it the language ladder. And each rung on this ladder is a different step in expressive communication, you know, starting with cooing or babbling and then up to gestures and sounds and first words and two words and sentences and so on and so forth. But I think what can happen is, you know, sometimes for a child to go from babbling to first words can take like a year or even longer, two years. And then sometimes going from first words to full sentences can take like two weeks for some kids. So it's just so variable. Yeah. Um, But just having parents know the role that they can play, I think is the most important piece. Yeah. And that it doesn't have to be, you you know, as the parent, you don't need to be the therapist and you shouldn't be the therapist. So we don't want parents to look at their part as torture and, you know, oh, I got to sit down and do speech, you know, with my kid. No, I mean, our whole thing is like, we just teach parents how to tweak their interactions with their children, their toddlers, their babies in with, so that they are talking to them with the intent of building 
using their language, just like we did with our little ones. We didn't sit down and do speech therapy with them. We just knew kind of how to talk to them to build their language and to help develop their expressive language. And we thought, you know what? We normal people can do this. You don't have to be a speech therapist to to do this and to understand right, it. Right. And so, you know, here we are sharing right. sharing our secrets yes, with if, the world. You're, the <laughs> parents just need to learn from the best speech therapists, and then they could do it. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's right. it. Um, and and just to follow that is what at what point would parents need to break away and, and say, okay, you know what, at this point, I can't do this myself. My yeah. child needs more. That's a great question. Um, so we do always kind of refer back to the milestones at that point. So, you know, we get hundreds of DMs a day saying, here's my situation. My child is, you know, 18 months and saying five words. And so that tells us, okay, this child is not meeting the milestone. And even though the parents saying they understand and whatever, our first line of, you know, defense and advice is, okay, at this point, your child is not meeting the milestone. So you should reach out to your pediatrician and consult with a certified speech language pathologist. Um, so that's sort of how we look at it. If the child is not meeting the milestone for receptive and or expressive language, the recommendation is to go consult with a speech therapist or, or seek out an evaluation. Mm -hmm. Or if your child, you know, not only isn't meeting milestones, but they're showing like some red flags. They're not really interested in communicating. They're not, you know, they're have lack of eye contact, lack of joint attention. Once we hear those things, we always advise no matter what the age is to seek out some help because early intervention is key and we don't want to miss this precious time. Um, so it doesn't mean that parents can't use our resources at home, but we don't want parents using, you know, p children who need intervention. This should be used as like a, a second line of defense for those kids. Right. right. So some, some kids definitely, when they're, you said, when they're crossing that threshold of real red flags and real concern, um, they really need to seek out, you know, direct therapy like yes. from, from a speech language pathologist, right? But there's also the courses you had mentioned that you offer. And I just wanted to know if you could just talk about those briefly. I know that you have some amazing resources for parents um, when it comes to language and two of those being the courses that you offer. And could you just describe those a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. So we um, are the, the first course that we developed is called the late talker and it is for parents of toddlers pretty much ages 15 to 36 months. And we initially developed this course um, for late talkers, uh, which is, you know, given its name. Um, and that was just to help parents learn what they can do at home. And um, oftentimes, a child will go into their 18 month appointment and maybe they're not quite meeting the milestones or they're right on the right on the fence and the doctor will say, well, let's just wait and see. Um, let's just wait and see what happens and come back at two years and we'll talk about it then. Well, our whole thing is like, that's great and you could do that, but why not give the parent a set of kind of tools and tricks and strategies to go home and do while you're waiting and seeing what happens? And um, that just, that doesn't really ever happen. So, you know, we developed this course and thought this is just such a great thing that parents can do at home while they're waiting and seeing or in conjunction with speech therapy um, or even as a preventative measure. So, you know, if you just want your toddler to kind of meet these milestones on time, our strategies and techniques, you know, will help to do that. So that is the the late talker course. Yeah, and I think this course, the the late talker course, has been. We're, we feel so blessed to have created this because there have been so many families during COVID who haven't been able to see a 
uh, early intervention speech therapist in person. And a lot of these kiddos are getting put onto, you know, telehealth and they may be like 18 months old. And it's hard yeah. for them to do, you know, a screen time session with a therapist. At that point, what happens is these parents uh, start becoming educated. It beca- starts becoming parent education. And that is li- literally what our course is. Yeah. Um, educating parents on what you can do at home during your daily routines, during play activities, during book reading. And um, I think that's been a bit of a lifesaver for for so many families, yeah. um, even families in, in different countries. Yep. You know, we have a lot of families all over the world who have reached out, you know, if their husbands are, you know, working overseas or whatever it may be. And they reach out saying, you know, there's no speech therapist where we are. And my child totally moved it. And I took your course and this saved us. So it's just been so cool. What amazing feedback to get so that you know that you are helping so many families. That's incredible. I know. It's It's been, it's amazing. It really is. (laughs) Very humbling. And it's been great. Um, And then after we, you know, made that course, we said, well, gosh, when we had our baby, like, oh, so pa- parents were like, well, what can I do when, you know, with the, my six month old or my 12 month old? And Stella and, was our, cause we started Instagram and yes. Stella, my, my youngest is, she's 21 months now, but she was 12 months saying, you know, a bunch of words on Instagram. People are like, okay, you have the late talker course, but like, how do we get to do what's, we want our little ones to do what Stella's doing and, you know, be meeting or even exceeding those milestones. What do we do? So we created Talk on Track, which is a course for parents to help them help their babies age, you know, newborn through 14 months, we say, to meet milestones on time. Um, and so this is definitely more of a preventative and proactive kind of approach. And um, just we give tips and tricks on, you know, and strategies on how and what parents can do just again in their daily routines and their everyday life uh, to help their little ones meet these milestones. So, um, so we kind of have, you know, they're, they're similar, but they target different age groups. Um, and actually, right now, Bridget and I are writing a course on how parents can help improve their child's speech intelligibility. So that's a whole other part of, you know, what we do is more, um, it's a little more therapeutic in nature, but speech sounds and speech sound development. And um, we're writing a course right now on that. <laughs> yeah, so often, you guys are amazing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes when these little ones start talking, they might not be super intelligible. So parents are like, okay, now my child's talking, but like, I have no idea what they're saying. Or, you know, my, maybe it's my child always leaves the final sounds off of words. So um, we were like, you know what, we can, we can help with this to an extent, totally yeah. to an extent. And, and our approach is always to take that like natural every during your everyday routines, you do, are not going to sit down and do speech therapy. If you need to do that, you need to consult with a therapist. But we were like, well, why not share these tips yeah. and tricks on how to get that final sound going, you know? No, I th- those sound like amazing courses. And also, I think what you said is, you know, parents leave a pediatrician's office. They've gone, the visits are very short. They're trying to cover a lot of information and you're not left with a lot of like what to do because also the pediatrician is not specialized in speech therapy yes. or other areas. So, you know, the wait and see might be appropriate. They might need more, more services directly, but giving them something like this, something tangible to actually work on so that the wait and see doesn't linger and then result in, you know, oh my gosh, we need to intervene immediately is so helpful for parents. 
Yeah. And I, I think too, you know, with those pediatrician appointments, it's like the pediatrician's only seeing these kids for like such a snapshot, you know, yes. they're seeing them for like a second. So it's so hard and, and pediatricians are amazing. We, we love our peds, but um, I think it's, it's just a hard role because parents trust their pediatricians like 100%. And it's like what the pediatrician says goes. And we always tell parents like, follow your gut. If you feel like your child's not meeting milestones and you have this like deep feeling that something may be going on, uh, please let them know and, or pl- please reach out to a therapist and let your pediatrician know you do want to move forward with. Yeah. Or, or sometimes I know like a parent, because I've had this and I've had friends who did this, like the pediatrician will ask you something that you weren't even aware they were going to ask you. And you give one answer and you get home and you're like, wait a second. I said my my child has 10 words, but I've been counting this past yeah. week and that's not true. Yeah. You didn't even realize in the moment because you didn't know what was going to be asked. So yeah. you get home and you're like, wait a second, now what do I do? Yes, yes. exactly. So along, you know, along with the courses that you just described, which seem to go a little bit more into detail, I know that you guys offer some really free resources and tips and tricks on your Instagram. And I encourage all of our listeners to go ahead and follow you. So um, can you just let our listeners know how they can find you on Instagram and um, also on the web? Sure. So on Instagram, we're at Speech Sisters and our website is um, SpeechSisters.com. We've been following you guys for several months now, and we are such big fans of yours. So thank you so much for joining us today. This is so nice, and we'll definitely have to do it again. Yes, absolutely. Thank you you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please note that this is general information, and since we do not know your child, it is best to contact your pediatrician or local pediatric professional if you have specific concerns. We invite you to continue the conversation on this topic in our online community at totsontarget.com. Additionally, you can find any toys, books, or products we mentioned in our Amazon storefront located in our show notes or on our website. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for daily tips on how to keep your tot on target.